All right. And it's my privilege tonight to get to kick off uh, this new sermon series. It's entitled Kingdom Culture, uh, Seven Ways We uh, Live a Blessed Life. But here the idea is that, is that everybody has a culture, right? And every culture is embodied and directed by values. And so Jesus has a culture. And these things that we just heard, read, are the values. These are the, what the church is called the Beatitudes. These are the values that shape his culture. And we're going to spend all of Lent, all up until Easter, until Holy Week, meditating and considering these Beatitudes of how Jesus shapes his culture here in the church. And, and so I want to, we're going to be tonight looking at three points. We're going to be looking at the sad life, the blessed life, and how do we receive the blessed life. And uh, since I've been to Miami, uh, I have, uh, it's interesting how different places have different greetings, right? Um, and I've had this greeting. It says, hey, Alan, how, you going? How, how are things going? And I've heard this several times. Like, they, they, they ask me the question, so are you living the dream? Um, I've never had that. People, the only other person I've had that asked me is when I was in Peru, we lived for a decade in Peru, my family. There was a guy who was, he used to live in the keep his cane. My direction is this way. He used to live in the key. He was deported in 2009, and uh, he became one of my closest friends. And he would ask me that. He would always ask me, you live in the dream. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I always wanted to, I always wanted to respond to him saying, no, I'm living a nightmare. But I knew it would kind of be weird. But so, so you know, this is a, a city that's fixated with the dream. Maybe they're talking about the American dream or fulfilling their dreams. I don't know. But well, they were, they're living their dreams here. Uh, it, but Miami's not the only place that's trying to fulfill, have find fulfillment and live the good life. I don't know if you caught news, but a couple weeks ago, um, back in January, they reported that Yale had the most popular class in the history of its institution. Uh, they were responding to a, what they call a mental health crisis. And uh, so they offered the class, uh, this lady, uh, the professor, uh, opened it up, and it grew and grew and grew until a fourth of the whole student body joined the class, and they had to move it to their chapel, which is typically a place of Christian worship uh, and other places of worship. But they're now doing this in the class. Is there a picture up there? Um, and you, see, you can see what they that, So that's them. They're in this class, and this class is called, um, it's called Psychology and the Good Life. And in this class, Mrs. Um, Santos, uh, who's 42 years old, she's a t- professor. She says, the course focuses on both positive psychology and the characteristics that allow humans to flourish, especially behavioral change. So this, it's a pass-fail class, and uh, at the end of the course, they're going to have a hack yourself project where you hack yourself and, uh, and have a self-improvement project. So... So here we have one of the most prestigious, competitive institutions of higher learning uh, in the third oldest in the United States of America, a part of the Ivy League, and their most popular class of all time is on happiness. So one student, Elena, she says in the article, says, in reality, a lot of us are anxious, stressed, and unhappy. And as I read that, I was like, she is not alone. I think it's not just an epidemic, not just in Yale, but it's, it's everywhere. It's, all, it's, it's everywhere. We, if we're honest, we're just like Elena. And so some of you may be here tonight because of that. 
Some of you may have stumbled in the night and you're just like, may you feel stressed, anxious, fear. You may be looking for something. Maybe you keep coming back because that is also indicative of your life. And, and so they're not, they're not any different. Um, and so we have instances that happen uh, where life is not, the good, not the, the, the good life, but it's not the dream that we're hoping for, but it actually turns into a nightmare, literally, like it did last Wednesday on Valentine's Day, which, on, which was Ash Wednesday as well. But halfway through the day, most of us got the, the news and the tip-off of, of what happened in only a six-minute span. Uh, uh, young Nicholas came went in there and for six minutes calls hell and chaos. And now we are, this whole community is broken hearted because of this. And our hearts do go out to the, uh, the 17, 18, what's, what's the final count and counting? 18 families now uh, are, uh, have a, a loved one who's been murdered. These horrifying acts. I mean, this, when, I, when I received the news, I don't know if you were like me. You're like, oh, no, not again. This is happening so much. Um, how these horrifying acts, they, they, when we look at this, we have this tendency to, uh, to get numb by them because we hear about it so much. But it often leads us in a place of asking the question, why? Like, why does this happen over and over and over? And I'm not trying to be silly here, but the hacking yourself projects are just not working. Like if, we, if these things really did work, we wouldn't have all these eruptions of violence all across our nation. And, and we're shocked by the evil that, that exists in the world um, because we don't realize that that same evil that we see in, in, on television or when it happens to a community close to us, it really is that same evil that abides in each one of us. Like we all really do have the capacity of Nicholas Cruz. We, I mean, that's, that's what sin is. It's, it's this, this thing that destroys and wants to destroy life and destroy the good life. So the fundamental problem with the, the positive psychology project is that, yeah, it may work short term. You can eat better, you can sleep better, you can memorize better, focus better, do all these things that are probably beneficial short term. But at the end, it will fail. And it will leave you back in a place of despair or sadness and despair. Um, I love what an old writer, Thomas Watson, it's on the front of your bulletin, and he says this. He says, the tree of blessedness does not grow in the earthly paradise. God cursed the ground for sin, yet many are digging. I love this. Many are digging for happiness there is, uh, there and seeking a blessing out of a curse. You may as well ask and seek out fire out of water. So he's saying it is impossible to find happiness in this life and, and uh, digging up in the cursed world. It's just you can't find it here. It's elusive. But the good news is tonight is that there's someone who has come from another place, from the blessedly heavenly realm, and he has brought that blessing to us. And he's bringing it to us tonight. And that's why over and over again, if you don't know if you caught it in the reading of Scripture, the word that most, most frequently occurred was blessed. Blessed. And that really is what we're all looking for. Not just a happy life, but a, a blessed life. And the first one is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so let's look, now let's look at the blessed life. Now, 
I, would, I was going to call it the happy life, but I think in English language, I know also in Spanish and maybe Portuguese language as well, this term, happiness, felicidad, I don't, I don't know what it is in Portuguese, um, it's, it's tied more to circumstance and, a, and more of a feeling. And it has to do with that. But the word in, in, in Hebrew and in Greek is so much deeper. It's so much richer. And, and, and also, if you look at the narrative of Scripture and you trace this word, it is it's way bigger than just a circumstantial happiness. And so blessing really is the opposite of the curse, right? It's, it's, it's embedded with this language of the garden, of the garden of Eden. It's, what, that, it's a goodness, the way things should be. Um, let me quote you another thing. It says from Richard Bauckham says this. He says, Blessings, blessing refers to God's characteristically generous and abundant giving of all, all, all good to his creatures and his continual renewal of the abundance of the created life. I like this. Blessing is God's provision for human flourishing. It is also relational. To be blessed by God is not only to know God's good gifts, but to know God himself and his generous heart. And now we see in, in, in the scriptures that God gives his law on Mount Sinai through Moses. And after the giving of the law, he, he, he declares a blessing on those who will keep this law and keep covenant. And then after that, he says, if you do not keep this law, if you break covenant, you get what? Curse. There's curses of, of not keeping covenant. And so here we have Jesus. And now if you know if you saw this in the very first, if you look back at chapter 5, he ascends another mountain. And Jesus, everything he did was super intentional. He's going to another mountain, and he's like the new Moses now. And he's not just the giver of the law here. He is the end of the law, what Paul says. He's the end of the law. He's the goal of the law. And he is now showing you, he's in interacting with how they misunderstood the law all throughout what they call the Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 to 7. We're just going to be focusing on the introduction. It was such an incredible introduction that we're just focusing on that. This sermon he preached, he probably preached it all around Palestine. We see it on the Sermon on the Mount. There's also in the Gospel of Luke. There's also another uh, version of it. This is his favorite sermon. This was his longest sermon that we ever see him preach. And this is his introduction. And he's talking about how to find blessedness. And he's sitting down, and that was the posture of a rabbi. So when he sits, everyone listens. And when he sits, he casts his vision of what the good life should look like and what it does look like under his reign, under his kingdomly reign. And so that is what we're going to be talking about in this sermon series. What constitutes the good life? What constitutes the good life? To, to quote Pastor Carter B., he says, this is the closest eight steps to a blessed life that you will find in the Bible. You probably didn't realize you would be quoted tonight. But as he was tight, we were chatting back and forth, and he's like, this, and so I, I stole it. Um, so there you go. The Beatitudes... If you take them all together, it's this complete picture of what God's blessing looks like in the, in the kingdom values of it as we engage this fallen world. So, so that's what we're going to be doing these next couple of weeks. Now, it's important to note that the Beatitudes shows us what we ought to be as Christians, right? It shows us what we ought to be, but 
what we fail to be. We can't keep them all. We're going to be talking about hope about that in a later. But I just want to show you that the Beatitudes is about Jesus' perfection and our direction. It's about Jesus. It's painting a picture of Jesus himself and, and, who, and, who, and who follows him, what they look like. But we can't keep it all. And so it gives us a direction. Just because we can't keep them all doesn't mean we just need to scrap them. It means that we, this shows us the direction of where we could go. And Jesus gives us, by his spirit, the power, the forgiveness and the acceptance and the power to go in this direction. And so we're going to look now at the first beatitude. And for the remainder of our time, the first beatitude is uh, foundational. And it says, again, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's, if we don't have this one, we don't have any of the kingdom. It's, it's the one that grants us access into the kingdom, and it's the posture in which we continue in the kingdom. So let's now look at our last point. How do we receive this blessed life? Um, how, how is poor in spirit a blessing to us, right? Now, okay, this, this is where it kind of gets wacky or crazy or just, I had, I had a lot of fun with this because what I did this past week is I went around all from Brickell uh, down to West, uh, you know, in West Kendall where there's dirt roads and no, no street signs, electricity, running water. And, we, and from, from both sides of the city, we um, asked people, what do you think poor in spirit means? Like, what do you think it means? And I got some really interesting answers. And, and so I'm going to, sh- what's my next picture here? I can't remember what I put here. I think this, you know, I was driving, this is on 95 South, right? Y'all seen this thing. This is part of the confusion. I'm like, I almost wrecked when I first saw that. Get filthy rich? I'm like, what, are they really encouraging people in Brickell to get filthy rich? Is that what that means? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, because you know, when you, when every time, I don't live in Brickell's, but every time I come in Brickell, I feel like money. I just drive down, it's like, woo, I feel, even though I don't really have a nice car or nice clothes, I just feel like money. And I see a sign like that, I'm like, man, I know this place is all about. Get filthy rich. And so when you hear Jesus' beatitude of poor in spirit, you're like, what does it mean? So this is, these are some of the answers I got. First one is, it's, um, it's low self-esteem. It's got to be like someone who's, who's, who's got low self-esteem, who doesn't feel really good about themselves. That's not what it means. Um, someone else said, well, maybe it's someone who's down or depressed. They have a depressed spirit. Uh, and though having being down and depressed is it's not wrong, that's not what Jesus meant here. Someone else said, I think one of my daughters said this, it, it, Dad, does it mean that someone has a puny spirit, like, like someone who's weak? No, that's not what it means. Because uh, God tells us in Scripture to be strong and courageous, right? But this is, so it's not a puny spirit either. Now, the most common answer I got and, uh, is this one, um, that poor in spirit, it's being economically poor. Um, and the reason why people say that is because they, people who know enough of their scriptures knows that the Luke version of this, he, all he says is blessed are those who are poor. It doesn't say poor in spirit. And so they go, okay, he says poor there without poor in spirit. So if we cross-reference, must be the economically poor here. Well, economically poor might lead to poverty in spirit, but it is not identical with it. And let me explain. And I'm going to explain through something I read through another pastor's words. He said it so well, I'm just going to read it to you. And he says this, It is true that Christ warns the rich 
that their wealth is a great impediment to trust Christ. But nowhere does the scripture suggest that poverty is God's blessing and that material destitution is a mark of God's favor. It is true that God calls some to live poverty, uh, lives of poverty, but there is no biblical formula to suggest that Self-imposed poverty automatically produces a greater degree of spiritual, spirituality or closeness to God or wins God's favor. I can't say any better than that, but it be, gets the whole balance there. And, and you, we've all seen uh, economically poor people who are extremely happy. Right? There is some, some correlation there, but doesn't make it, it's not automatic. I've seen a lot of pissed poor people too. I mean, just because you don't have any money doesn't make you happy. So it's not what he means here. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean being rich in spirit. Now, what I mean by that is this is really the opposite of poor in spirit. To be rich in spirit is to try to win God's favor through your moral achievements, through your efforts, through your own self-righteousness. That's what being rich in spirit is. Now, I love what uh, Tim Keller, I got to quote Tim Keller, right? Um, I'm one of the Crossbridge churches. That, uh, so Got to quote him. Uh, but it's true. This, I like his language he uses here. It's not rich in spirit, but it doesn't mean middle class in spirit. And what he means by is, is this. Uh, middle class in spirit is someone who believes that they've been saved by grace, so they're, they're in the kingdom, right? But he or she maintains the right standing with God through their hard work and moral effort. So you, you got in, you're in the kingdom, but you stay in by trying hard. Lots of discipline, lots of self-control, lots of fasting, lots of changing of diets and, and everything else. That keeps you in. That's being middle class in spirit. The, the historic church, that's, they called that, they have a term for that. It's called asceticism, where you beat yourself and try to mold your, your holiness out of your own strength. It's when we try to walk in the spirit by just trying harder and doing better and so when, you, when you're in, when you're middle class in spirit, when I was thinking about this, I was like, what does it feel like? Because we all resonate with this at some level. We all resonate uh, with middle class in spirit. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But it, as I was thinking about it, it feels like hustle. I, I mean, I saw a guy's shirt at the gym the other day, and he, he, he's the owner, the founder and owner, um, uh, a guy named, um, he's a Cuban guy. He has a Miami Ice is the name of his company, and it's an air conditioning company. And his shirt he wore, it said, embrace the hustle. And I was like, that is Miami right there. Embrace the hustle. If, you know, middle class in spirit feels like hustle. It feels like pushing. It, feel, it fills you with fear and anxiety, and it leads to sadness and even depression. So that's where it leads to. So what is poor in spirit? What is poor in spirit? Um, and the first thing I want to say is, before I give you like a definition, I just want to say up front that poor in spirit is so counterintuitive to who we are as people. It just flips everything upside down. In fact, all of these beatitudes, all of these things about living a blessed life are totally counterintuitive the way we normally would think things. That's why we, as the pastor said around trying to think about how to name this sermon series, uh, one suggestion was, let's name it the upside down. Um, because, you know, 
that's, everyone would resonate with that. And they're like, oh, no, that was like on Halloween. It'll be too old by then. So I, I, we love the upside down in my family. So I, I just throw, I throw it in the, the slide there. Anyway, <clears throat> so I could, since if I'm, I'm preaching. Um, but it's, it is, it's like the upside down kingdom. And I was thinking about this. We could think about it like being of the upside down. But really what it is, is putting things right side up. This is the way the life should be, right? It's not, the, it's not upside down. It just feels upside down because it's so foreign to us. Now, so this is what it means. It means that we recognize, we fully recognize that we are spiritually and morally bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. And I mean nothing. That's what poor in spirit means. We cannot earn our way into the kingdom. We can't pay our way into the kingdom. We don't have a family member that can get us through the gates. We can't fight or push our way into the kingdom. We can't do anything to push our way or earn to get into the kingdom. Why? Because someone who's poor in spirit realizes that he or she is totally deficient. Every part of our mind, of our heart, of our wills, of our, of our love, everything has been, mis, has been disordered. Um, we're totally destitute, completely unable to even solve our problem that we're in. We're, we're totally dependent. Our hope is fixed completely upon Christ alone. And we're totally devoted. Our whole heart is now in allegiance to Christ alone. Let me put it this way. God does love us. He loves us deeply, each and every one of us, but he is not impressed with us. He's just not. He's not impressed with our clothes. He's not impressed with our cars, our careers, the city that we live in. He's not impressed with that. Think about this. He is impressed with his son, though. He is very impressed with Jesus. And is it a coincidence that we don't even know what he looks like? Have you thought about that? Yes, he was a male Jew in Palestine uh, uh, many years ago, but we don't know what he looks like. And that is the one who God is most impressed with. Now, poor in spirit means that we recognize, we admit that all of our riches comes from Christ and his righteousness alone. It comes from him. He's the only one who came from the blessed land. Remember the quote? We live in the cursed world. We need someone from the blessed land to come into our cursed world to give us blessing. Outside of us, we need something outside of us to give us this blessing. So how do we receive this blessing? How do we get this? If, it's, if he's come into time, our space and time to give us this blessing and pronounce this blessing upon it, how do we get it? And it's very simple. It's just by faith. It's, a, it's not just by a one-time trusting in Christ. It is a posture. It is an ongoing posture of faith, right? And so when we don't have faith, let me put it this way. We wake up every single morning in middle-class spirit, with a middle-class spirit. We wake up, that is our default mode. We wake up thinking that we can just earn our way through the day. And if we do not submit ourselves to Christ and put our trust in him once again, we will continue to hustle and bustle through that day. I mean, I've been there, right? 
And I always know, I mean, I'm driving my kids at 7 o'clock in the morning, 45 minutes of school, and, and this traffic just reminds me that I'm hustling and bustling and I'm not in the spirit. I'm not submitting myself to Jesus. So it's, it's an entrance by faith alone, and you receive it by faith alone. So that is what the first uh, beatitude is. Is blessed are those who are poor in spirit, uh, for they will receive, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just finish up by giving you some marks of what this looks like, kind of fleshing out. It's kind of easy to say. It's really, <laughs> it's not always easy to do. Uh, so some marks of the spirit are this. <clears throat> and the first is, is it's a humble and contrite heart. In Isaiah 66, it says this, and this is God speaking, but this is the one whom I will look. Who will God look at? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Again, Isaiah 50, uh, 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He lives in the blessed land. I dwell in a high and holy place. And who else, where else does he dwell? Also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit. To, re, to revive the spirit of the lowly. To re, revive a part of the contrite. Okay, so, so that's one of the marks of being poor in spirit. Is having a humble and contrite heart. So here's a test. Here's a test to see if you, if you have this humble and contrite heart. Think of the last time you were criticized. Maybe fairly, maybe unfairly. How did you respond? How did you respond? It, when, when you were last uh, criticized, if you are easily offended, then you do not have a humble and contrite heart. Because you're, you're trying to defend yourself. You're like, wait a minute, you didn't understand me. You didn't understand what I did. This is, this is not fair. But look, if you are, are, are you're like, you, only know how, you don't even know half of what I am or who I am. And you're like, and you receive that criticism. And as some people say, you know, take your criticism and turn them into coaches. Uh, then you know that you're in you know, poverty of spirit. Because you recognize where you are. You have nothing to offer God. And they're just rightly identifying a lot of truth in your life. Maybe not everything. Maybe if it's like just a portion of it. There's something that usually criticism is right about. So that's the first test. So, and that's the first mark. The second mark is this. I'm just going to mention it really briefly. Because I think I'm dipping my toe into next week's sermon on um, blessed are those who mourn. But, th- but it is a, is a lifestyle of repentance. The lifestyle of repentance. The poor in spirit is like the penitent blind beggar who, who cried out, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's, that's the, that is the inclination of the heart. Um, it, is, it is something that, uh, that is, you're quick to do. It's not something that takes you a week or two weeks or a month to get around to. And so I have a, since I'm not going to, uh, this is going to be talked about more in the rest of the sermon series, I'm just going to ask you one more question test. So here's, here's a test to see if you have a lifestyle of repentance. When was the last time you remember confessing a specific sin and, re, and repenting of that? Think about it. When was the last time, if you can remember it, think about that one instance. If you can't remember 
a time when you, I'm not talking about like, oh, God, just forgive me, I'm a sinner. I'm talking about like a specific hurt that you did against someone else. And if you cannot think of that moment, then it shows something of your heart. And you can repent of that. That's, that's a good news, right? Um, but if you, that is a question you can ask yourself, am I, am I poor in spirit? And this is what I do throughout the day. And when I'm walking and I see if I'm in an inclination, if I have a posture of humility, I ask myself, when was the last time I repented? Or, or um, am I being offended by what people say to me? Like, why am I offended by these things? And so these are, these are two marks that qualify uh, a poor in spirit. And look, here's the good news. If, if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't, I don't remember ever repenting. Or I don't remember at all. I don't remember. A, a, it's been a long time since I repented. I mean, it is, the good news is you could do that right now. Right now, you can ask God to say you're sorry. He loves you. He is not mad at you. He's just waiting like a father to embrace you. He knows that once you repent, you're back in the kingdom. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means you're outside blessing. And once you come back into the Father's care, he's going to bless you. He's going to not only give you these emotions, but your life will be blessed. It will. Because you have the right posture. It's an ongoing posture of faith and trust. So in conclusion, I just want to, as I was thinking and praying this week about uh, this, this topic of poor in spirit, I was like, what, what, are the, what are pictures that helps describe what this looks like in action? And, and two pictures came to my mind, and this, I want to close with this. The first is, is that the poor in spirit looks like a tree whose roots are going downward. It's the growing downward of the roots of a tree. And I, I can't think of a better example in Scripture than our last sermon series. If you weren't with us, uh, Carter just walked us through the life of Joseph. And Joseph, if you go back through it, it's just from one step down to the next step down. And he keeps just going down and down and down. And eventually God exalts him. But it's a long progression downward. And in that progression downward, there is an amazing transformation that happens. In the words of John the Baptist, he, he would have said, may I decrease so that Jesus may increase. And that's what happens. It's what it feels like when you're going through this downward motion. And you become more invisible, but Jesus becomes more visible. You become lower, but Jesus becomes higher. And that becomes your joy. You really do want Jesus to be seen in you. When people say things to you like, like I've had this asked to me, like, why did you move from Atlanta to Miami? And really the only answer I got is because I love Miami, I love you, and God sent me here for you. That's the only really answer I really got. Because it's not a really easy city to live. I didn't come here for housing prices. <laughs> I didn't come here, I mean, I love the weather, but it's hot in the summer. You know, I mean, there's, I can go down the list. And there's things in your life that people will come up to you and they're, they're, they're just going to demand an answer. And all you can say is, I don't know, but Jesus is in my life and he's changing me. <clears throat> so that's the first picture. And the last picture has been super helpful for me is a picture of a flowing river. It's a flowing river. This is a picture that is completely opposite of the hustle of Miami, the pushing, the shoving, the kind of forcing, the manipulation behind the tables. But the, the, the kingdom of God is like a river. 
And he, God invites you to jump in and to, to take the ride down this river. And it, this river is his will for your life. And it's distinct for each and every one of you in this room. So what I'm doing may not be exactly what you need to be doing, but God has a will for you. And once you're in it, it takes you, down, it takes you places, places you didn't expect to go. And I'm on a section of the river. Have you been on, have you, who's all floated, right? Anyone canoed or floated up north of here? When you go, you go there's no, a lot of times there's a section of the river that, that gets really wide. And it almost turns into a lake. It's huge. And you're like having to get the paddle out and then you're starting to, to, to paddle a lot more. Um, and and, and if, you, if you sit there for a second, it, you don't perceive to be moving. And um, it's kind of like the Everglades. I don't know if you've had a, uh, I live a mile from the Everglades, so I get to spend some time out there. Uh, and I found out recently that the Everglades is a gigantic river. Didn't know that. Did you know that? And, and it's, it's moving so many inches a day. It's actually moving. And, um, and so that may be where you are. You may be like your, your canoe is in the Everglades right now. You're kind of, you feel like you're stuck, but you're actually going somewhere. But you can rest knowing that God is taking you where he wants to take you in his timing. And eventually that, that river is going to get back up to where it's rapids again. So you know what? I mean, this is me. I, I want to be where the rapids are. And I don't enjoy the lake, the, the slow part of the river, because I'm trying to, like, get to the, you know, come on, God, pick me up here. Because <laughs> I've been waiting a long, long time. But if, I, if I'm poor in spirit and I'm waiting on God, I'm in his river, then I can do the deep work of relationship. I can talk to my, my wife or the people that are significant around me. I can make new friends. Because once I get to the rapids, all I'm trying to do is stay alive. I'm just like trying to you know, go, go back and forth, which for a lot of places, like that's what the exciting part of life is, right? But so you, maybe you're at the rapids right now and you're just trying to keep your head afloat. I don't know where you are. But if you're like me, you're, a lot of times we get to these wide expanses of the river and just rest. God is taking you where he wants you to go. Don't be discontented by trying to get over there or over there, over there. Just trust him. Just take a deep breath. I'm doing this to myself. And say, you got me, God. I know you got me. And I, may, I enjoy the ride. So that is what poor in spirit is all about. And it is our desire as we go through this series that you really will be blessed. And we hope that, that you come tonight in your poverty and receive the riches of Jesus. Because in Jesus, you will find blessing. Let's pray.